Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So like the omega-3s and the omega-6s with grass-fed, grass-finished, they're, they're equaled out mm-hmm. and they're balanced. With uh, the traditional popular feedlot model, your omega-6s, the ones that cause inflammation, cause inflammation right. artery problems, heart problems like that, are very high and the omega-3s are down here. Mm-hmm. If you grass-feed a cow and then take it to the feedlot to finish it for 90 days, the, the science, you can find solid science on this. It starts a decline curve on the benefits, and in 90 days, you've erased the benefit of the grass fed. Yeah. You're back mm-hmm. to, you might as well have done the corn the whole way. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. I'm Stan. And I'm Eileen. And this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Stan and Eileen, how are you? I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Well, Stan, the last time we saw one another, we were uh, stretching at Joe Hip and Steel's uh, uh, seminar. We How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm, uh, my, I'm working it hard. We're working it every morning and sometimes twice a day. Yes. And I've made significant improvements. I've, Fantastic. And I've had the benefit of 
learning from him as, after he's come back and been participating too. So are you making progress too? Uh, yeah, actually big time. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah. um, what was the, um, what was the path to finding Joe and, and uh, we talked briefly at the, at the seminar, but what, what, uh, what caused you to seek that out and, and take it to that level? Well, we were building a house with just two of us and it was went on went on and on and on so we've got to listen to goggins so we we must have listened to his podcast 20 times a day just just looped it the book and interviews he's done uh yeah we're we're setting tile for three or four weeks at a time we're painting for two months at a time and just to stay motivated i mean we just created an environment where it was just not appropriate to be lightweight get, get on I top of your it. head and do the work so based it. on his recommendation, we went looking. Plus, uh, you know, I want to stay uh, active mentally and physically as long as possible. So that's you got to be proactive with that, with how you take care of yourself from managing your head to what you eat. Yeah, there's there's so many athletes out there in the world that are demonstrating the longevity is done through flexibility, so having supple muscles. And so we're just to show us how and we'll. We'll pick it up from there. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, well, yeah. it's been really, uh, really great for me as well. And, uh, you know, I was kind of getting along training hard and, and working hard. Uh, but as I, I guess, as I got a little bit older, it, it kind of caught up and I couldn't do a lot of the things that I was doing before. And that's what, that's what, um, you know, that's how, that's how I, I, and just like you, I was listening to David Goggins book and he was talking about how he's now doing all this stretching and it saved his life. And I was like, well, huh, maybe I should check that out. And uh, that's exactly how I found Joe too. So mm -hmm. good, good. That's great. Um, so tell me what you guys, uh, What? tell me about your ranch and what you do. Well, we produce uh, healthy proteins for people that want to eat well. We are heavily involved in regenerative ag. So we have, uh, we're continually enhancing the quality of the property. Yeah, we're, our farm is Ramstead Ranch, and we're on 240 acres in the far northeast corner of Washington State. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And as far as, uh, as, far as ranches uh, around you is 240 acres, where does that sit? Is that large, medium, small? We're in an area with a lot of federal ground, so there's not a lot of private ground, so we would be on the large size. Okay. Uh, the next size up are like the fourth and fifth generation people that have collected up pieces for a long time. Uh, the next leap up is big, and the next leap down is is small. Mm -hmm. Okay. Lot, and you mentioned five, the 10 acre pieces. You mentioned the term regenerative. Uh, can you explain that and what what that means exactly? Well, that all really starts with the microbial health of the soil and that's uh you figuring out how to support that so the microbes mine nutrients micronutrients vitamins minerals from the soil they trade it to the plants for sugars for their communities uh the the that there then that puts those nutrients in a bioavailable form for the animal to consume and that puts it in a form that uh in, is is good for us mm -hmm. And we like the word regenerative because it's kind of in contrast to not only conventional ag, which is how most of our foods are raised in the U.S., but also even different than sustainable agriculture, because just the word sustainable means we can keep doing it the same way over time. 
but we see regenerative ag as a as the next step where we can actually make the ground healthier the animals healthier over time agriculture does not have to be a take 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 sort of endeavor the natural the natural movement the natural um, tendencies of the animals can actually help to make the soil better help to make the air cleaner and keep the rivers and streams clean as well so it gets it gets better over time not just sustain yeah that's interesting so can we talk about how you do that specifically like how you're how what how you get to the regenerative from the sustainable or 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 commercial and and contrast them what's the difference well, about all of them a broad brush answer would be we basically emulate how nature was doing it before man got here. Like when the buffalo and even elk on the plains were roaming through, they eat, tromp, uh, leave a lot of nutrients, and then they're gone and the ground rests for a long period of time. And that's a natural cycle because of seasons, um, but also because of predators that were naturally pushing those herds across. So. Mm-hmm. Herds never had, they were never stationary and stagnant in one area. They would, they would come into an area, they would graze, and then something would move them on and they would have to migrate elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So we emulate that with, uh, we use portable electric fence, but we have small cells that we put the cattle in and they move every day. Mm-hmm. So, and even sometimes in the spring when the grass is growing fast, but doesn't have, it's still pretty watery and doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it yet. We might move them twice a day, uh, but we stay ahead of it so that we're uh, harvesting the biomass and yet leaving uh, usually at least half untouched, not untouched because they tromp it and all that. It looks a little rough when we leave, but within a few days, it's standing back up and looking mm-hmm. good. Uh, so we move every day so that they're always on fresh pasture and we plant uh, diversified pastures instead of a monocrop. So we plant uh, 10 or 12 varieties of seeds, grasses, and maybe 15, 18% legumes, a variety of clovers. So we have some broadleaf stuff and we we try to time that so that we have a species of, of plants that like the early cool weather, stuff that likes the dry weather, stuff that likes the rainy part, uh, stuff that likes even the heat, the real heat of the summer. And we don't get a lot of that, but we might get a couple of weeks that are 95 to 100. Uh, and then stuff that likes it on in the fall. So it, the theory is that at any time uh, a cow takes a bite, there we have two or three species in their prime. So we keep that nutrition in front of them all the time. Uh, With the movement as well, we're moving them onto new pasture, but more importantly, to help the regenerative cycle happen is we're letting that pasture and that ground rest after we move. So like Stan's saying, there's always going to be some plant that's active and it's in the photosynthesis process where it's growing and it's, it's not dormant. And so by moving the animals off that pasture and preventing them from going back and regrazing, that plant has the opportunity to grow, grow leaves again, start, start collecting more of, of the sunlight and then transferring that, those, that nutrition down to the soil where a healthy community of microbes are there to receive the nutrition and then actually transfer a, an exchange of nutrition back up to the plant. And so right. it's a, a total symbiotic relationship that happens best when that ground can rest and regrow and not come back and, and be regrazed by those by the animals until we bring them back. And that's usually anywhere from a 45 to a 60 day cycle. So if they come back at all, a lot yeah. of it we don't even come back to. We've mm-hmm. we've got an excess of grass. We basically are doubling our carrying capacity uh, 
we do a lot of soil testing and all that. So we have the science behind it, but we also just have uh, common sense proof that uh, we're doubling our carrying capacity about every four years. So, so that means the number of animals that can graze the same amount of ground increases over time, which says there's more lush pasture, there's more health, there's more nutrition here that can support more life. And you say you're doubling that every so often? Yeah, about about every four years. And that'll that'll probably get harder to do every four years yeah. as right. the ground gets healthier and healthier. It's like a GPA in college. It's harder to affect as, <laughs> as you get better. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like the stretching too. Like to, yeah. yeah, at first you can you can make huge progress and then you get yeah, to a point yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like now it's like incremental tiny little bit of progress. Um yeah. so how long have you been doing this? Uh we've we bought this place in 08. So okay. we've, we've really, but we, we all had other commitments, other careers. So, and it took probably, th- we, we were kind of weekend warriors at first. Mm-hmm. And it we didn't a, even have fences, complete fences yeah. when we started. So it took some, did, did you have this, pre-work. did you have this vision? Like what was the, what was the property being used for before? Like this type of, of farming? Um, and then you had a vision to take it to this level or what? When, when you first kind of stepped foot on this property, what was the condition of it and what did you think you would do with it? It was kind of uh, the product of traditional ag, the monocrop, depleted soils, which resulted in a lot of weeds, uh, a lot of undesirable uh, species here. Um, and it, it just generally was neglected and depleted like a lot of the farms in, in America. But we did have the vision. We knew what we wanted to do, uh, and we just started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were committed to the regenerative ag. We were committed to producing grass-fed, grass-finished um, beef and lamb. And so that was always part of the goal. It was just how do we get there and what's it what's it going to take? How did you even yeah. know? I mean, you, you say you had different careers and all this other stuff. I mean, who, who's the farmer? Like, how did you even know, like, this is the direction that we need to go in, and this is the vision, and this is how it should be done, but... It's not being done that way right now. Well, we learned a lot. We were gardening vegetables on our own, you know, producing healthy, you know, delicious um, garden vegetables. And we started learning from people like Joel Salatin and reading books um, like Omnivore's Dilemma and, um, you know, those those kinds of uh, food ink started educating ourselves that way and really felt like this is the right thing. Um, this is this is what our this is what is good for our bodies. It's what's good for the land. It's what's good for the animals. And so we just started small. Um, we actually started on a two acre, you know, residential mixed residential plot and tore up lo- tore up lawn and and planted some pasture and started <laughs> rotating chickens, and literally grew from there. So it was when it you was were really doing a, that uh, on that on that really small scale and you're rotating the chickens. What else were you growing there? Well, we had a number of nice garden boxes. We were we were big on the garden box thing and and really producing some nice fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. A few we had quite a few fruit trees. Uh, usually, anytime we come upon a property, we start planting fruit trees, and I mean we just can't seem to help ourselves. So we start trying to enhance it uh, plant wise, and then we uh, were at the farm store and they were selling chickens. So we decided we'd do that, and per our style, kind of big way, we bought fifty chickens. And uh, then we had five sheep. Yep. So we were growing <laughs> fruit, vegetables, our, our chickens, and our sheep for our own consumption. 
And I think I think when we we pretty much maxed it out when we added the thirty turkeys, and that was like that was, <laughs> that was maybe that was a little that was about we couldn't have done another season at that, but it, we left it gorgeous. It was well fertilized and uh, ready for ready for a family uh, with that. They you know they had I believe they had five about five kids homeschooled. The 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 place was their learning yeah. center, and right. and they it it was a perfect match for the next family that moved right in. Who actually we found out later actually added two steers to the property. So really, was, wow, yeah, it was it, you know just just awesome. So you go from that, and that's kind of I mean from what I, I may be incorrect here, but it sounds kind of like that was like a a hobby, a passion project, kind of to do that, and and there was no money coming from that you weren't able to sell that commercially and this was all for your own use you could sell it commercially yes very small scale we sold a few chickens and we had a little refrigerator sitting out there with an on your honor pick up your eggs yeah oh cool like not cool yeah and so but you saw that there was enough interest in what you were doing and and you had enough uh, passion and and determination that you wanted to move to a bigger place and that's how you found the 240 acres that you're on today Yeah, and we'd been looking for a ranch. We'd had the dream for a while, and we had a whole list of criteria, you know, water, trees, hay ground, like that kind of thing. And we looked at quite a few places and then just kind of stumbled across this one and thought, this this fits the list. Let's do it. Wow. So we, we just stepped out and started. And so... It took us a couple of years to kind of wrap up all the commitments we had business-wise and... And I was the first one up here. I was here for a year by myself and Eileen was the second one. And anyway. And so everybody basically quits, not a, maybe quits, not the best word, but you move into this new career. Yeah, Maybe it is. Maybe quit is a good, good word. I don't know. What, what were you doing before? It's definitely a transition because um, stands from a construction background and there's plenty of construction that happens on the ranch. Um, and that's a perfect skill set to apply here. Um, Jean's uh, had a medical career and that doesn't end. I mean, a lot of her inspiration for wanting to get this going um, comes from watching her patients come in over the over the years as the decades progressed, coming in sicker and sicker, fatter and fatter, you know, and just having these chronic problems that stem from poor diet and stem from, you know, the, the standard American diet. So mm-hmm. um, that doesn't end, you know, she's, she's still applying medical expertise and communication with people that we meet that are, are trying to find healthier ways to put food on their table. Yeah. That's super cool. I really want to yeah. talk to you about that because this, this, you know, there's the standard American diet and some of that is um, processed food and, and, you know, but, you're, but what we're talking about here is a better way to raise the 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 protein for the most part the chickens the turkeys yes. the 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 lamb the 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 beef right and so I'd like to know like what your opinion is and how you've kind of what you've seen as far as how eating animals that are that are raised the way that you're raising them versus raised raised in a in a more commercial mono crop kind of thing, grain fed beef, how, what, what differences you've seen and what differences you know about for the health of the animal and for the health of the people that are eating the animal? The most simple way to summarize the difference is animals that are grass fed and or pasture raised. And we can talk about those nuances, but animals that are raised the way we raise our animals are, are basically 
themselves experiencing less inflammation. The diets they eat are are harmonious to their digestive tracts. So they experience less inflammation and everything that they impart to our diet also reduces the inflammation that our bodies experience as well. And so the number one um, ingredient, so to speak, in that is the types of fats that they're carrying in their meat and in their in their tissue. So we're talking about the omega-6 and omega-3 ratios. That's the, those are kind of like the main two um, fats that we talk about in the U.S. that are if, if you're eating conventionally raised, commercially raised beef, it's, it's grain fed, uh, grain finished. So they're, they, yes, they eat grass when they're, when the cattle are young, but, but they wind up at a feedlot and then they're eating, um, grain based diets that are, are basically not what their digestive tracts were evolved to eat over time, right? They're, they're herbivores. They should be eating. They're designed to eat grass. They've got their four compartments of their stomach and that rumen is designed to break down that cellulose and, um, extract the nutrition from that. And so that's, that's what we want to see is, is grass fed, grass finished with our ruminants. So those are the beef and those are the lambs. Now, when I've asked Mm -hmm. a lot of people about grass fed and grass fed, grain finished, grass fed, grass finished, I'd really like to talk about the difference there because I've been told by, uh, farmers that it's really, really difficult to do grass fed, grass finished. That's what you're doing. So I'd like to know, like, what, what are the challenges with that? I guess it's just way easier. Like they're out, you know, they're, they're eating grass and then you're going to have a period before you're going to take them to market. You're going to fatten them up. You're going to feed them grain. I don't know what the, the, the antibiotics and everything else that goes into it, but it could still be called grass fed beef, I, I guess. I mean, those are the things that I'd really like to know because there are so many terms out there. And I was talking with my workout guys this morning and I was like, you know, does anybody know what the difference between organic, grass-fed, grass-finished, grain-fed, reg, you know, if if there's no label on it, healthy, I don't know what all the labels are and what they mean, you know, antibiotic-free. You see all of these different labels and we're all trying to eat as healthy as we possibly can. I don't know what goes into qualifying for those labels and what what I should really be looking for. I mean, I, I feel like grass fed, grass finished is the best, but honestly, if somebody really put me on the spot and said, why I would say, because that's what they're supposed to eat. But I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Well, there's some, there's some solid science out there that can help you. So it is more expensive to do grass fed, grass finished. Mm-hmm. A, 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 a beef takes us, 26 to 28, 29 months to finish with grass-fed, grass-finished. Feedlot, and they'll finish somewhere around 1,250 to 1,300 pounds. Okay. Uh, uh, Feedlot guys can finish cows in 16, 17 months, and they'll finish them at over 1,600 pounds. Wow. So economically, we cannot compete with that. We've got another year's worth of labor in there. Uh and they've got a lot more pounds to divide their fixed costs over that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yep, so we cannot compete economically. When you hear farmers saying that it's hard to do grass finished beef, uh, we would agree by and large um, when you're dealing with um, most cattle in America, they're not designed. They're not genetically um, predisposed to be quality grass finished beef. They they're, they have a frame and a size um, that fits the feedlot model where they're going to gain weight on those high calorie 
uh, grain-based diets Mm -hmm. much faster than they much faster versus a grass-fed diet. They may not, they may never finish. They're going to be too tall and lean and they've got a big frame that they've got to support with the calories that they're putting in their body and they won't put weight on well because of their size. Yeah, there's, it's estimated there's three to 5% of the cows in the country that are good candidates for grass-fed, grass-finished. Now, and is that a like different Eileen, species or a different, they're just different frame or what is it that, that makes it that it way? It is a different frame. Yeah, there's there's definitely some breeds that lend themselves um, better. Um, but in general, we're more interested in sort of the phenotype, like what what size and shape is the animal? And you, you can think of it as, you know, if you think about a, a a center position basketball player, they're tall, they're lanky, they got long bones, um, and they got high metabolisms. And so that's, you know, that's a little more, that's a little more body type. That's going to be, a, you know, more of a feedlot style where they're, they're taller. They've got a big frame that you can hang cheap calories on versus what we want is a squat, squattier, shorter, more efficient cow steer that when they, when they eat that grass, more of those calories are going to contribute to delicious meat on their carcass rather than just the maintenance of the body alone. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Understood so far. Yeah. Yeah. A feedlot cow is going to be taller and lankier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eileen alluded to it, but we can walk through a herd and, and tell you if a cow will finish or not, if we could Mm -hmm. finish it with grass fed just by looking at it. And, And by finish, we mean nice and fleshy. They got, they got fat on their frame too, because we love, we want fat, right? It's delicious. It's, it's, it's contributes to the flavor. And in our case with grass fed, grass finished, that's where a lot of the extra vitamins and nutrition and the benefits from grass fed, grass finished come from. Okay. So like the omega threes and the omega sixes with grass fed, grass finished, they're, they're equaled out Mm -hmm. and they're balanced Mm -hmm. with uh, the traditional popular feedlot model. Your omega sixes, the ones that cause inflammation, inflammation, artery problems, heart problems like that are very high and the omega threes are down here. Mm -hmm. If you grass feed a cow and then take it to the feedlot to finish it for 90 days, the the science, you can find solid science on this. It starts a decline curve on the benefits. And in 90 days, you've erased the benefit of the grass fed. You're back to, you might as well have done the corn the whole way. Huh? And and, and that's part of what differentiates when you're asking about what's what's the difference between grass-fed, grass-fed, grass-finished. That's the difference. It's it's those final final 90 days. If if those cows aren't eating fresh living grasses in the pasture, like that's that that decline is is happening. Wow. And, and it's yeah. as well harder because we're seasonal. We 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 are active when the grasses are growing. Mm-hmm. A feedlot can finish cows any month of the year they mm-hmm. want. Right. So, so, so it's almost like a hunting season where that's when you harvest the animal. Um, mm-hmm. And so what is your, what is your season? Like what's, what's the harvest time? Is that fall is, or what or well, early we, winter we, or when is it that you, that you actually start, uh, may we'll start pigs in April, but they, they don't need the lush grass. They, they eat all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but our grass will be here like the first or second week of May. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get on it with the cows. Mm-hmm. And then we're good through, uh, you know, mid-November, mm-hmm. late November if we have to be. Mm-hmm. And then we set our, you know, all our finances are on the calendar year like everybody. But but our production year is like May to May. Mm-hmm. So we have to carry 
four or five months inventory until we start getting our processed animals back again. Mm -hmm. So we have to straddle that hard winter time with inventory. Yeah, but you're spot on. It's it's hunting season yeah. When, yeah. The, when the grasses are growing and, and pastures are at their peak of nutrition. So we're putting the peak nutrition in the meat in the package. And that's when you're you're finishing them right there. And but mm -hmm. are you also starting new animals right there for the next the next herd? Yeah. They'll, they'll start throughout the year. It, it, that varies because any individual animal might take a little bit longer to finish. And so you just, you just kind of learn as you not learn as you go, but you, you choose as they grow who, who, which, which animals are, are gaining weight, which, which are obviously going to be good candidates to grass fed to, to finish on grass. Do you think that, um, that conventional agriculture sees, sees this type of, of farm as a, as a, major competitor or are you not even on the radar for i don't think we're even on the radar i mean uh, a feedlot can handle hundreds of thousands of animals so what we're doing is not really even on the radar for those guys mm -hmm. we're they're they're huge mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then but, you know what but the but the marketing is on their radar which is why you mm -hmm. see things right. like yes. grass-fed right on the label because there's there's really in, when it comes to the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, there's no standard for grass-fed. Well, that's exactly what I wanted label. to talk about. Exactly yeah. that. To, to put it on the label is, that's, you know, as opposed to organic. Now, there is an organic standard, and there's totally, there's rules that you have to follow, you have to apply, you have to have, you have to get audited, you have to prove that you are operating by those organic standards. But when it comes to grass-fed, there's no standards. What about grass-finished? Um, or and then grass finished is that's like even more fringy because <laughs> uh, you know that hasn't hit the marketing scene quite so hard. We we have customers who know the difference and they'll come to like our table at the farmers market, for example, and they'll go, "We see you're grass fed. Are you grass finished?" And it's like, well, obviously they're doing their own research and they mm -hmm. they can come to us directly and sort of self certify. They can come to our ranch and see your what you're what you say you're doing is what you're doing with your animals and and then they're happy to to know the difference yeah. but they've come to realize just because it says grass fed on the package doesn't mean it was doesn't mean it was it doesn't mean anything right <laughs> most cows in america have eaten <clears throat> grass at some point in their life well the first time <laughs> that i think I, I heard about this i think it might have been in in michael pollan's book the omnivore's dilemma and that's the first time i heard about joel salatin and then i listened to him on joe rogan and he's just a really fascinating guy same doing same thing that, that you're doing it's, it's fascinating to me um, but I believe they were talking about chickens and they were talking about, you know, you could say this is a free range chicken if they have access to a door. They don't even have to go out of it ever. They may and, they, be, and they wouldn't they wouldn't dare. The, the, the light would terrify them. They're never going to leave that building because yeah, it's but there's just a hole in the there's a hole in the building. And so mm -hmm. that is access to outside. They may never use it, but you could yeah. call that a free range chicken. Right. I it's, mean, yeah. I don't know. They, the All of the terms are so um, confusing to, to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, I read books, I watch these movies, I am paying very close attention to what I eat. I track all my food. And if I can't figure this out, this has got to be incredibly confusing, or maybe they just don't, most people just don't care. But you know, when you go to a Costco or something, if you were to see a label that said, um, grass fed beef, it means almost nothing. Right. Is right. Like what you're what you're saying is that that mm -hmm. could mean that at some point in that animal's life, it ate some hay. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then the difference 
and and the way that um, that you're raising uh, cattle specifically. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You were saying that there's no possible way that you can compete with the feedlot. So your meat is going to be more expensive. Let's talk about uh, other than just the, the, the Omega-6 and Omega-3, are there other benefits where, where just a standard consumer would say, okay, that's why I'm paying more for that grass fed, grass finished. And it could be even just animal welfare. A lot of people, you know, are borderline. Like, I don't know if I want to eat animals at all because I don't want to hurt them. And, you know, but I want to, if I'm going to, I'm going to eat the ones that have been, been treated the best. I don't know. Uh, for me, I just want the healthiest meat. Right. And, and that's why I also hunt elk. Like I love to that, in my opinion, that is the healthiest meat and, and fish that we catch in the ocean. And, and those are the healthiest things that I, that I eat. And so let's, let's talk about just like what the benefits are and why somebody would justify paying so much more uh, outside of what we've already talked about with the, with the omega six and three, I understand that. And that's, that's really important. Okay. So we've got the more better nutrition, which we've talked about. Uh, we have the, do have the animal welfare. We're, we're dedicated to the animals never having a bad day here. So for instance, when we move, just one, just one bad day, right? <laughs> well, one bad day. And, and that's, that's the only part I don't like about my job. That's hard to do, Yeah, but it's got to happen. And if I could eliminate that day, I would totally love my job. So, you know, it's just that one day that's tough. Um, but for instance, we'll move 70, 80, 90 cows. We walk out there and call them and they, they come trot. They'll come. <laughs> our cows come better than most people's dogs. Well, they, they're treated right or they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what, what is it? Is it hay? They're coming to like they you've conditioned them to come to you because they're getting hay or they're getting fresh pasture or what is it they're, that they're is the draw? They're moving to a new pasture. Okay, yeah. and, they, and you don't have to have cowboys out and, there and or four wheelers or one, horses just or one one cowboy. One, no, one yeah. person. Okay, and they can be on, in ditch boots on on foot, and it's just a yeah, and, and yeah. that person's in front of them, not behind them, mm-hmm. because the they're, cows know, man, when they open that gate, like like you know. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah. That's what that's like, that's that's where yeah. that came from, I guess. The cows yeah. are over there, like I'd really like to get over there. And then you open the gate, and there you go, fresh yeah. fresh food. Okay, that's yeah. super cool. They're drinking water that's uh, uh, spring fed, so they're drinking as pure water as you can get. It's right out of the ground. Uh, 
we have the regenerative aspects of how the earth's treated the ecosystem yeah. i don't i'm trying to sort the math out on if we're carbon neutral or not i don't know yeah because uh, we we do have to use diesel trucks to move trailers and stuff mm -hmm. but um I, i'm not sure but we're sequester a lot of carbon mm -hmm. so we're trying to figure out where we stand on that mathematically it, it we haven't got that sorted yet but i know we're close to carbon neutral when it, uh, the water that leaves here is as clean as when it gets here. Mm -hmm. We have no hormones, antibiotics, steroids, weed killer, synthetic fertilizer. There's there's nothing introduced that's uh, not provided by nature here. Wow, and, that's incredible. And when it comes to humane treatment, um, one thing we offer cows is a natural habitat. So when it's 100 degrees out, they're out grazing on grass that's cooling the ground. So they're not on... Uh, they're not on dirt. They're not mm -hmm. on, um, you know, the, a, a packed, a packed environment in a feedlot scenario out exposed in the sunshine. And they have, they have trees to go to for shade. So in times of drought, you know, we've, we've seen some pretty significant droughts in the last couple of years out here in the West. Um, and where, where weight gain for us, for cattle is a, a, a demonstrate, it demonstrates that the cattle are happy. They're getting plenty to eat and that they're in a good, healthy state. So, when we're gaining weight throughout the the drought periods, you can contrast that to the feedlots that are they're having just death loss from exposure. Wow. Cows are getting overheated and suffering in the heat. Um, so there's a big there's a significant difference there. Wow, neighbors, you know, we we went through a drought a couple of years ago, and it was like, all right, we're going to look at this like this is great. We get to stress test our systems. So while uh, neighbors in the most of the states destocking, getting rid of animals. They're losing weight, so their investments going downhill. Uh, we gained weight all the way through. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we uh, you could go out and part the the broadleaf stuff like the clovers. Take the ground temperature, and we're twenty degrees below ambient temperature, wow. which is healthy on the plants. It's healthy on the the microbes. Mm -hmm. uh, the the, it's cooler for the cows, even when they're out there, but we always uh, make sure they have access to lots of trees when it gets hot. And they'll go over there and hang out in the heat of the day and then then wander back out and eat some more and then they'll wander back. Graze and, when it's cooler. Now, um, the reason, let, let's talk about the antibiotics and, and, and that. Um, why, how, how do you manage to not use antibiotics? The cows never never get sick when they're on a regular diet and they have water and food and places to walk around or like, I mean, cause that's we, an, an elk doesn't need antibiotics, right? There are lots of wild animals that don't need antibiotics. And it seems to me that if you put a cow in that, in that situation and give it everything that you're, you're giving it, that it should, should be healthy. But I, I'm interested in, in, you know, the hormones and antibiotics and why they're used in conventional and why, and how you don't use them. So one thing to understand about conventional antibiotic use is that it's a subtherapeutic level. It, so it's not meant to control disease. It's meant for causing the animals to gain weight. So oh. weight gain is a byproduct of antibiotic use. And um, there's a great book. Oh, uh, sound like you like to read. Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, David, David Montgomery and his wife, Ann Bickley, write uh, books about soil and microbes and our human health relationship to the foods we eat. Um, one of those books is The Hidden Half of Nature. It's okay. fantastic. Um, and and they they really do a good job of kind of 
highlighting the the transition of how antibiotic use got started in um, you know in raising proteins you know animals in, in the industrial agriculture system. So it's it started with weight gain and causing animals to gain weight faster, and that and then it evolved into well now we can pack animals in closer together. And that subtherapeutic level helps keep some of those illnesses at bay. Mm. And so, and so it spiraled from there, but first and foremost, it was to help gain weight faster, okay. which makes meat cheaper, et cetera, et cetera. Right. makes profits higher, that. et cetera. What about the hormones? Same hormones thing? Hormones as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And exactly. And then, and then there's other, there's other reasons to do that in other industries, dairy and whatnot. So, and that's not our industry so much. But um, the hormone replacement and supplements are, are part of that same goal as well. Wow. That's so cool. Um, so on this 240 acres that you have, what, what, what animals do you keep there? Do you have the turkeys mm -hmm. and the chickens and, the, and, and everything else? Or we've, we've been mostly talking about beef, but I know you have lamb. Um, beef what and else do you have? Beef and pigs, pigs. are primarily our, our two main um, animals that we raise now. We've, we started with the whole Joel Salatin model where we did, we did meat chickens, we did layer chickens, we had turkeys, we did um, ducks for several seasons, and we had a big uh, flock of sheep as well. But we've, as we've grown, we've realized we really can do a better job of, of doing the regenerative ag and focusing on the pasture um, health if we can do, if we can focus on fewer fewer things. So how, so did, how did you come to that uh, realization or conclusion that, that you'd be better off with <laughs> 20 hour days, seven days a week, good old fashioned <laughs> over commitment over. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're hard workers and you yeah. know, it's just, we, it, it, we, we went and going everything in kind of a big way yeah. and it just got where this is, we can't do this. This is ridiculous. Yeah. This, we don't, we can, nobody here can take a day off. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Right. We can't miss a lick around here. We got to do something different. So we, we found partner producers, we call them that are do things just like we do them. They're, they're to our specs. They're heavily vetted. And we have a great family, a mother, daughter that uh, raises our sheep. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and we have a chicken wrangler titles himself <laughs> yeah. chief chicken wrangler, but yeah. we've got a guy that does nothing but chickens. Yeah. And he's he does our chickens for us. Mm -hmm. And does he move so, them like in like Joel Salatin? I mean, that's well, that's yeah. what that's they what catches a lot of people's eye. Uh, you know, egg. about his story is the is the egg mobile, and and yeah. he yeah. like yeah. had that. Um, you know, the idea was that he would move those, and then that would set up the 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 pasture land for everything else to come. And they were kind of the first. And I don't know when I read he, that it was the the egg mobile was a big part of it, right? Of that absolutely. Story. And what's, we did that for years. Yeah. And it is a. It was hard to give up because it made such a contribution to the to the health of the ground. Mm -hmm. You can see stripes where we've been for four or five years after we've moved to the, a whole other area. Where, I mean, where the, where the chicken like, chapters have have gone down the pasture. It's like, yeah, they're just these beautiful green streaks the next year because they're just wow. so rich and healthy. And so yeah. you still have chickens, but you don't have to manage them yourself. Is that what you're saying? We still, yeah, we still sell the five proteins, mm -hmm. beef, lamb, pork, chicken, turkey, but we have found partner producers to take on a couple of those proteins for mm -hmm. us to, to produce them. We just can't do it all. And it's a nice partnership because these are folks who, who don't want to do the marketing, who don't want to have to deal with the website and the going to farmer's markets and things like that. They just want to raise 
they just want to raise animals and see their land improve and like that. So it's, it's a nice partnership that way. And so do you like the marketing industry that are, I'm sorry, Uh, go ahead. There's a lot of people in this industry. What? That that really don't like the sales part of it. Mm -hmm. They just, they love what they do. They love their animals. They're proud of them, but they don't want to have to try to sell them. Right. So what about that? That was my next question. Do you, is that, does that come easy to someone on your team or, or someone in your family? Does somebody like the marketing? Is it one of you? That's probably really my wheelhouse where I, I just get so energized by people who are looking for like, I just want to buy healthy. I just want to buy real food. And I, I love making that connection and I can, um, I can talk someone's ear off, whatever, whatever aspect, whether it's, how do I cook this? How do you know? I'm, I'm, we have so many customers who were, have been vegetarian or have been tr- trying to avoid the system, but they understand they're realizing that, you know, really my body, my, my body is the type that needs meat. I, I need to put protein back, meat protein back in my diet. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with, with animals that are being treated kindly. It's not by systems that aren't ruining the ecosystem that are contributing to the health you know, of, of the whole system. And so they find us and it's, it's just, it's a wonderful connection. It's, it's for all the right reasons. How do you think most people find you? Is it kind of regional or worldwide or how do you think most people are finding you? I think most people are, are out there. Most people who find us are proactively searching. They've, they've, they're aware they like, like they've opted out of, of the conventional system and want to find an alternative. And so they're motivated. And they've read, they've read the books. They've, they know, yeah. they've often heard of uh, Joel Salatin and, and have been exposed to Michael Pollan and that sort of thing. So it's really nice that there's so many quality resources out there to help, to really help give people the background to say, yeah, there's a big difference just because it's organic. Doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean the animals are living any better. Right. You know? And doesn't necessarily mean that it's better for you. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my, that's my concern is like, I don't mind paying more. But I want to know that what I'm paying for is is worth it and that I'm, you know, that that's even something I should be looking for, like right. grass fed or organic. Are those even that's, labels that I should be searching for or not? Right. That's that's really why we've chosen to put our efforts into um, showing people through video, through social media, sharing our farm that way, because the people that know the difference know that there's plenty of greenwashing that happens on, in, on, on the grocery store shelves. What we really need to do is, is see if we can't visit the farm, we need to see that this is, this is how they're living. This is how the animals are living. And, and this is what's actually happening on the ground level at the, at so the ranch. So put out your, um, your social media handles and your, your YouTube, uh, is it on YouTube? Is that where you're putting your videos? We, we have uh, videos on YouTube and we're, it's just Ramstead ranch. So it's Ramstead like homestead, but it's Ramstead, R-A-M-S-T-E-A-D ranch. We're on YouTube. We're Ramstead Ranch on Instagram, and we're Ramstead Ranch on Facebook as well. And right. and our website is just RamsteadRanch.com. And what uh, mm-hmm. have, have their videos been really popular? Have you had one that really takes off? Oh, there. I would say we're not. Uh, we haven't gone viral by any means. We're pretty <laughs> humble when it comes to our our video endeavors. But it, I would say most of the ones that are like. There's a, there's a virtual farm tour. There's, um, us moving cows. You know, you can see, you can watch us calling the cows and running with the, running with the cow herd from, from a, on a, on a long move one day. It wasn't just pasture to pasture, but it was like, we got to go around the pasture, around the corner and, 
and it was just me jogging with the the cows <laughs> and the horses and they just they just trust us so it it's wow. that's a kind of a funny one <laughs> Um, what, what yeah, about the, you know, we, we could use help there. We just, we just <laughs> keep trying to learn the next step. Yeah. We yeah. Yeah. Keep trying to well, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like, uh, and... sounds like you're pretty busy. I mean, most farmers are, are busy. Like it, it, it's a very, it's a very, um, uh, intense life. Like on the one hand, it sounds so, so nice that you walk out there and you call the cows and they come to you. But the, the thing is, is you got to do that from, before sun up to after sundown. And then you got to worry about all kinds of things like predators and everything else. And I, I don't know, it just, it seems like a very, very intensive labor intensive life, it, you know, but, but it's one that, you know, that you love and that's awesome. Yeah. And it's in, you know, you're doing some really cool stuff. Um, what about the one bad day that we talked about and what is the, what does the slaughter look like and, and the packaging and do you do that yourself or, does that go to somewhere else or how does that work? No, everything we do has to be USDA inspected. So we have to use USDA plants. So uh, we, we, we vet the plants very well. We go watch how they do it, watch how they handle animals. We're very, it's very important to us that they're not stressed any more than, I mean, they're, they're going to be a little stressed just because it's a new environment. They're mm -hmm. encountering something new that they never have. Um, but we, we vet the place as well, and then we uh, take them usually the day before, so they they move, they calm down, they get a they, you know they just get to hang out and relax and calm down, and then there's a USDA inspector there at the moment of harvest that uh, with some very specific criteria, if anything inhumane happens or ineffective, uh, they get written up. I mean they're they're very strict on it and they inspect it. Uh, I've stood there and watched them and they'll find a small speck of something on that whole carcass and they'll point to it and somebody's got to do something about that. So they're, they're diligent with this. We're very fortunate to have local family run USDA plants. Mm -hmm. And so these are not big factory operations that are thousands ahead a day. They're doing, they're doing hand butchering, um, hand cut and wrap, um, I mean, they're using machinery, but it's all it's all very hands on and small scale, uh, really quality. And we're we feel really lucky in that way, because that's definitely a hurdle for many uh, farms and ranches. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, that's interesting to talk about is how your your product is packaged. And I'm assuming that you can ship anywhere. Do you, do you ship mm -hmm. all over the place and, and you have customers nationwide? Mm -hmm. Yes. OK, so and then how is your. How do you, how do you package your, your, your meat? Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At MidwayUSA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. 
For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. In terms of like the, well, the, the beef well, is... Like vacuum is, sealed packages, mm -hmm. like in, in a certain poundage or like, I don't know, that's a, that's a kind of a big deal for me because um, like the way that I, that I will do my fish when we catch a lot of fish, I like to eat fish. My wife kind of likes to eat fish. So if you put two giant fillets in a, in a, in a vacuum seal, that's not the best for me. Like I like, I like to take more time and have smaller packages so that I can pick one fillet and that's fine. Or I can pick one steak or, you know, I don't have to thaw out 10 pounds of hamburger. I could have, I could have it in, mm -hmm. in smaller increments, which makes it more convenient for, for, for my family because we don't always eat the same thing. I might eat fish. They might eat chicken, you know, something like that. And so if it's, if, if I package my own fish in these big things, which is way easier to do right. when it comes time to eat it, it's like, now I got two giant mutton snapper fillets here and I'm only going to eat one. And so now got, I guess we're having fish tomorrow weeks. night too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm just kind of wondering how you package and, and if the customer has a choice on that or, or, what what the so best way to do everything this? is everything's fairly standardized but they are convenient sizes so what ground beef is one pound packages okay. similarly ground pork is one pound um you know chicken breasts are, are two breasts per package so they're smaller portions um just just like that we do have two steaks per package i think is our limit um size wise and so and then with beef it's beef lamb and chicken is all cryovac wrapped our pork is um paper wrapped um, but it's, it's well paper wrapped and, and again, just by, by quality, like a, a family run business that, that does a great job. Mm -hmm. But the cryovac wrap, that's, that's like a vacuum seal, heavy it's a vacuum seal, bag. good, thick, good, thick plastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what, yeah, I'm it's like. nice packaging. The exception to that would be that if you buy a whole animal, oh, custom, you, yeah. you could do your own cut instructions any way you want to do it. Right. What uh, about that? I've, about I've done that before where I bought, uh, a whole cow or a half a cow. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I found is there were a lot of things in there that I didn't quite know what to do with. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, beef stew meat and, and, uh, what was the one that I got? Uh, I just got a ton of it. It was, uh, it was some cut cube steak. I didn't really know what to do with it. Right. Like yeah. I'd never bought that before. And so yeah. I kind of got to the place where I was like, you know, I really like ribeyes and, and fillets and, and flank steaks. And, and I think I'm just going to buy those cuts. I don't, I don't know, but if there a, would you say that there's a big benefit to buying a half animal or a whole animal versus just the cuts? There's two ways to look at it. And you bring up a really great point is that you, you know, that you have a preference. And so we, we have found that over time. And especially as our customer base has expanded, folks that want, they want to buy in bulk, but they want to know what they're getting in advance and they don't want to have to make a bunch of decisions. So we've come up with some standardized um, half beef, quarter beef or eighth beef packages so that there's a list and you can go, oh yeah, all eight of those steaks are, are on my list and we can definitely use the ground beef and you can say yes to that and know what you're getting in advance. You know what the price is going to be and you know the exact amount of weight that you're going to receive. And that just takes all the guesswork out. There's also the type of customer that is, they they want to have that control and they want to say, I want a standing rib roast. Um, you know, I, I don't want steaks. I want to, I want to do that prime rib. Mm -hmm. That's who the custom cut and wrap is for. And they, you know, they want to, they want to have more roasts instead of more steaks or they want that control. 
So that cut and wrap, that custom cut and wrap option is great for them. So we, we, we definitely try to put products out there and, and have it bundled in ways that meet the needs of, of our customers. And so whether, whether you want that control or whether you want just like, yeah, give me that quarter beef. That's, that's something I can easily check yes to. Um, we have both of those options. And then are you shipping all that out from your own facility or, mm -hmm. or does that live somewhere else while you, uh, um... every, every, everything's here. So we're able to, we're able to assemble a la carte. If, if wow. all you want to try is a, a pound of ground beef, some chicken breasts, and some pork chops, we'll assemble that here and send it to you. Wow. That's got to be a pretty big, big, uh, refrigerator. Um, like, do you, ha what does that look like? Is that like one, is that one giant, uh, freezer room or is it a whole bunch of freezers or what do you have? We've lovingly named it the whale. The whale. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's pretty big, but we've got a variety. We've got two, three walk-ins. One's the whale. Mm-hmm. One's the polar bear, one's Old Faithful. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're dear to us. We name them. Yeah. And then yeah. we have a, a, a bunch of uprights and all this that for organizational purposes, for order pulling and stuff like that. Yeah. So we, we've got everything from our pallets that come back. So do people come out there and, and check out the farm? Like you mentioned that, that you had had that happen, but do you have farm tours and, and things like that that you do? Or is that popular? Absolutely. We do. We, we were doing a lot of it before COVID. We were, we were given regenerative ag classes. We had oh. lambing class, sheep class, uh, shearing day. We had all kinds of functions. And, that, and of course, everything stopped. And we're really just getting back into that. Yeah. We're starting to do quite a bit with the schools and get uh, field trips out here to mm -hmm. connect the children with an understanding of what's going on. So, yeah, we love to teach. And transparencies one of our biggest uh, offerings to combat the confusion of the marketing world which right. you know it is, is it's incredibly confusing it really is uh, oh it's and it, and and it's it's designed it, to be it's designed to be <laughs> well, it, yeah. I, that's that's I, not I'm hesitant by to say it's intentionally misused and made confusing well i mean uh, it, it doesn't take a a, a a genius to figure out that if if people want grass fed and they're willing to pay more for it and all you have to do is feed them a little bit of grass and you can call your beef grass fed and sell it for a higher price, then obviously people are going to do that. I mean, why wouldn't yeah. someone do that? It's like, all yeah. we got to do is feed them a little grass and we get an extra pound. I mean, we get an extra dollar a pound or, or something like that. And mm -hmm. that just seems, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, it sounds like it's some good big conspiracy theory. It's like, no, that seems like pretty good business. Like you just make it qualify whatever label that you yeah. can. And then there are people like you that actually have this uh, premium product and you are abiding by all the, you know, the rules and regulations and, and you're over and above whatever the, the, the label is. Like there's not even a label for what you're doing. Right. Otherwise, no, we're, we're beyond any of the requirements. Right. right. That's super interesting. So about the, um, you know, if you talk about sustainability and and, you know, there's a lot of people that um, maybe they 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 are vegans or they they kind of lean in that direction because they just say, well, there's just no way that we can ever, um, you know, grow enough beef or chicken or pork or whatever in a, in a way that you're doing it, um, 
there's just not enough land. There's not enough people that want to do that. So I'm going to just go all vegan and we should just all go vegan and we should all have this factory produce meat and all these things. And you hear that argument out there. And I just wonder, like, what do you think the, the potential of the type of farming that you do for a lot of people? Like, obviously, it's, it's very popular for the people like, like me that are looking for something really, you know, the highest quality food that you can possibly buy. But can we feed the, the nation in, like this? Or, I mean, that's, that's the big question that I always hear is like, it's just, you just can't do it. But I don't know. I've never talked to someone that's actually doing it to see if that's a, a possibility. Well, we're sustaining more animals here than any traditional model can. So I can speak to that. And the guys on the real cutting edge of this regenerative ag, uh, like the big university guys and that really have a lot of science, claim that it is we can do everything we're doing with much less land than we're using if we everybody would commit to this. Mm-hmm. It's as much a challenge of decentralizing the, the logistics and the processing and the access. Um, that's as big of a hurdle as it is to having having more cows on the land in regenerative fashion. Many Many farmers we know would love to just raise uh, their beef on grass, but they really don't have another choice if they're going to maintain their lifestyle and the, you know, and their, and, and the occupation that they love and what they know how to do because they need, they need the system in, in place to then sell their, sell their beef into. And so it's, it is just such a large system. The agro industrial system is supporting it, it. It's it's so structured that it's, it's hard to break out of it. Mm-hmm. And you're swimming upstream at every at every move to find a processor to get your processing dates in advance to sort of um, forecast what you think your sales are going to be and you're really putting your stretch as a as a as a rancher who's also marketing their own products you're really stretching your neck out and and saying I think that I'm going to be able to sell this much and I want to grow a little bit and I'm going to anticipate these sales are going to happen um, and. And you've got to get those butcher dates in a you know a year in advance, and and that's that's just not feasible for for a family a family ranch who has kids to feed who has to know that a paycheck is coming. So wow. it's as much about restructuring the the system and the the processing and and moving animals around the country as it is can can the land base support that cows the way we're doing it. What would it what would it take to do that? Like just a lot of people like like yourself that want to really badly and then I mean I don't know what it would take other than that. Uh because like the 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 place that you painted this other uh rancher that w- would like to do it but there's just no possible way they're going to break out of this system. Um it seems like the only way forward like you described is just to have a lot more people that are committed to 240 acres or 200 acres or something like that mm-hmm. to, to start doing this all over the place. Right. And committed to having the, you, the smaller scale, mid, mid scale USDA plants, you know, it takes a certain size for a processing plant to be economically feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've seen people grow into that in a, you know, and it's painful. It's like growth is painful. Um, and, and then, and, and we see the opposite of that where, it's a barrier to entry. Like we don't want your cow herd that's less than a semi load at a time. So 
It, it does. It takes a commitment to seeing that the system is, can be in place. How are we going to get there? And, 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 and the challenge people is being for willing you to, to be able to be a USDA um, processor yourself would be even more so. Well, the ante on that's several million, and that's a whole nother business of staffing that. I mean, it's a. I mean, that's a that's a full time business. Yeah. There are big operations that do that, and the big people are all that way. I mean, but it's you know a feedlot with a half a million cows in a in their own USDA plant that are slaughtering five thousand cows a day. That's with the rail with the railroad right there, that's that's right. pretty easy yeah. for Costco and Walmart to buy from. Right. You know? It's like yeah. the system's really set up, and it does feed a lot of people a lot of food. Mm-hmm. I mean, in many ways, yeah, it, it, it contributes a lot to America getting yeah getting yeah. fed on day to day. There is a better way for higher for higher quality. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely a matter of creating the demand. The de- demand's got to be there for anybody to take the risk to to make the effort. That's yeah. cool. Well, I think it's really cool, and um, I, I encourage people to check out what you're doing. Um, tell them how they can find you again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, our website is RamsteadRanch.com, and uh, you can just log in, and and from there you can, uh, you know, you can see the ranch. You can place orders online. We ship uh, from the farm every week. And we did talk a little bit about the the bulk buying, the quarter beef and half beef, but we sell meat by individual packages. And we also just launched our subscribe and save program. Oh. So people can subscribe to save money and, and choose from a free item and um, and get smaller portions, smaller quantities for apartment size refrigerator freezers. You don't have to buy a half a beef at a time. Um, and you can follow along. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, we have a, a growing YouTube channel and all of our, we, the handle's pretty simple. Every time it's ramsteadranch.com. All right. Yeah. We, we do have a slight minimum order for shipping. What is it? Um, it depends on the zone. Um, so it's going to be anywhere from 99 to 159 for a yeah, minimum. We, yeah. We need some bulk to sure. one, one pound of hamburger doesn't ship. <laughs> To the other very to, to Florida very yeah. very well. Yeah, you got so it. we need a little bit of volume mm-hmm. to make make everything work. So mm-hmm. the, that's what the minimum's about, just mm-hmm. getting enough mass to make to, the shipping work. Yeah, yeah I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Well, um, good luck with the stretching as well. Um <laughs> have you hit any of the standards on the uh can can either of you get any of the standards? I can get a few. Uh, I the arms behind me, I can, and touching really? my palms straight behind me, I can get that. Wow! I'm so far from there on that one. That's my that's my worst stretch. But I did just make it back all the way back, leaning with the with the there quad stretch. Yes, I miss. I've been propping myself up on a chair, and I missed the chair this week. And I'm like, look, I can do it. There you go. That's how it has to <laughs> By happen. By accident, I was, I was using a medicine ball, and then one day I just decided decided I'm just going for it, and I went. I did it. Um, Ta-da. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, boy, do I feel better when I when I do all that. It's it just makes that's a big difference. Such a big difference. Um, well, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate. it. I learned a ton. I really did, and I was cool. hoping that I would uh, about all the labels and the the different terms and everything, but also just about how you're how you're uh, managing your land. It's really it's really cool, and and I've always liked that with uh, what, what I've read about Joel Salatin and others, and and uh, it's just really cool to 
to be able to talk to you and understand exactly what you're doing. Well, you should come see it. It's yeah. you'll have a whole yeah. nother level of appreciation with those. Watch the cows just mow it down and move on, and <laughs> it's amazing. I will. Yeah. Probably yeah, some we'll... good fishing out there somewhere too. I'll have to come out. Yeah, there yeah. Oh well, yeah. Love to see you up here. We'll we'll have some fun. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we'll be back with another awesome guest next week. So see you then. think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.